Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What kind of travel tools are in your arsenal? What do you use on a regular basis when you're on a trip or planning a trip? I'm talking about the apps, the websites, the books. The internet makes it so easy to get information And it's very tempting to hop on there and not really think twice about how we use some of these tools. What is behind the data there? I'm looking at you, TripAdvisor. I'm looking at you, Yelp. These types of websites that are giving us ratings and telling us what is good, what isn't, what's worth seeing, what isn't. Are certain resources that we are using killing our adventure, killing our spontaneity? If so, how? How can we use these tools to enhance our travel experience rather than use them in the wrong way? And what is the wrong way in the right way? These are all things we're talking about in today's show. And this is an important topic because sites like TripAdvisor are massive. This is the second most visited travel website at the time of this recording in the world, according to Alexa.com. That's huge. I've been on TripAdvisor a ton. I'm sure you have as well. And I'm not sitting here bashing it. I'm just bringing to our attention, hey, We have these tools that we kind of just use and maybe we're not thinking enough about how we're using them or what's what the consequences are behind using certain resources in a certain way. There's a lot around it. We're going to get into it today and so much more. So welcome. Welcome to my little home here. I'm I'm inviting you in right now to listen to this conversation. Have a nice cup of coffee, have a beer, have a cup of tea, whatever you want. Grab a nice drink, relax, sit back. Give yourself a little you time and thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friends. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And I want to give some shout outs here right away. I just recently published my fifth year anniversary special. I did kind of mention there, hey, if anybody wants to send me a video, I'd love to see some faces out there from the community. And I got videos from some of you. What a treat to open my email inbox 
and see some of your faces and hear your stories. I'll just gonna throw out a few names here. Jimmy, Mark, Corey, everybody else that sent videos in. Thanks for taking the time to do it. I so appreciate you being a part of this global caravan of listeners. And hey, you might be rocking out with this podcast in your headphones. Maybe you're bumping down the road in a tuk-tuk somewhere in Southeast Asia. Maybe you're on some overnight bus through the high deserts of Peru. Maybe you're just at home chilling, just straight chilling at home. Either way, just know you're joining many thousands, tens of thousands of people from around the world. So even if listening to a podcast might feel like a solitary endeavor in some ways, feel the vibes here. You're with a community. You're in the common room at the hostel. You're out and about the local coffee shop with friends. That's what we're doing here. We're all part of this world and just trying to help each other out. And this is your platform, your show. So if you ever have any questions or you just want to say hi or you have any guest suggestions, anything at all, drop me a line, jason at zerototravel.com. Now, let's talk about today's show in just a second. First, just want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. That page will take you to my personal recommendations, all of the travel gear from Tortuga that I recommend and love and use. So if you want a backpack for any length trip, whether it's three weeks, three months, three years, or three days, they have got you covered. And just for being a listener of the show, you're going to get 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL when you type in the word TRAVEL. Just the word TRAVEL when you check out. You're going to get 10% off anything you order over there. So check out my recommendation, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. They just sent me the Outbreaker Day Pack and their set out day pack and I've been using the Outbreaker day pack all week around town. I'm absolutely loving this thing. It's going to pair nicely like a fine wine with steak (laughs) with my Outbreaker backpack. So much great stuff for every type of traveler. Just go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, 10% off with the promo code travel so you can pick yourself something up for the holidays. Treat yourself a little bit or pick something up for a friend or family member that loves travel. Don't forget that promo code TRAVEL when you check out. Thank you, Tortuga, for being a longtime supporter of this show. And if you go through that link, you'll also be supporting the podcast. And I thank you so very much for that. Today's show, well, we're going to slip and slide into the interview right now. Not going to delay any further. But I do want to say, just pay close attention to some of the tips that Seth offers today. Because it might make you rethink how you approach some of the technology that you use to help create your travel experience. And it will at least remind you to have an awareness around these things. And this is what it did for me. I imagine it's going to do the same for you. It's just becoming aware of how intertwined some of these tools can be with our actual real-life travel experience and then making a choice if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's up to you. That's up to each person, of course, and their individual decision and what they want to try to get out of a travel experience. But regardless, it's some great food for thought. We're going to get into the interview right now. I'll see you on the other side, my friend. My guest today is an author and travel journalist. For six years, he roamed the planet for the New York Times as the frugal traveler, offering tips on how to tackle some of the world's greatest destinations on a budget. He's got a new book out. It's called Rediscovering Travel, A Guide for the Globally Curious. I'm dying to read this. I actually haven't read it yet, but we're going to pick his brain today. He is determined with this book to, quote, 
reignite humanity's age-old sense of adventure that has virtually been vanquished by the spontaneity obliterating likes of Google Maps, TripAdvisor, and Starwood Points. What does he mean by that? I, I actually am in agreement with him. We're going to get into this and a lot more today. We're going to talk about how to make the most out of modern technologies without letting them ruin your travel experience. His time traveling to 50 countries as a New York Times travel writer, much more. Seth Kugel, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Wow, it's really exciting. That was an exciting intro. Hey, man, I know it's eight in the morning for you in New York, so I'm trying to get you fired up, you know? <laughs> I'm fired up. I'm fired up. I'm excited to be here. And by the way, if you go to com slash book, you can read all about the book and also find links on where you can purchase it. Congrats, man. This is a book that, I mean, I love the concept and I'm right there with you and I can't wait to dig into this. But I have to give everybody, I, we just met, but to give you a sense of who I think Seth is, if you go to his Portuguese, he has a Portuguese YouTube channel called Amigo Gringo. And there's one clip where you're selling pizza out of your speedos so if yeah. that tells you anything about how serious seth is when it comes to uh, yeah. travel and putting self out there when did you learn portuguese man yeah well i um i always sort of spoke spanish because i live in new york and I, I i had i was a teacher for a while in a bilingual school in the bronx we're talking like a while back and then someone a friend of mine just said hey hey you speak spanish really well uh, you write a lot about Latin America and about uh, immigrants, and you should just learn Portuguese because it's very similar. And uh, I'm just the sort of guy that said, all right, let me see what that's like. I took a class uh, here and then ended up with a, a getting a, a private teacher on Craigslist, which is great. It's great to live in a city. If you want to learn languages, live in a city with a lot of immigrants, especially student immigrants who aren't allowed legally to work and so they want to teach their language off of craigslist to make money uh you know outside of the government's purview there's so a little I, uh, I, language learning hack for you <laughs> yeah there you go you just yeah you just have to be sure well you live in a, a big university town or a big yeah so i i learned it and um i take things seriously this is before i was a travel writer but i take in fact this is how i became a travel writer interestingly enough I was like, well, I got to go to Brazil because I've just been studying Portuguese for a year. It's amazing if you do speak good Spanish or even Italian and then you start learning Portuguese, people learn really fast because it sounds completely different, but it the, the grammar and the vocabulary and stuff is all quite similar. So I, I decided I'd go to Brazil and I, I didn't know how – I just was reading a Brazil guidebook in a cafe and a guy came up to me and said, you're going to Brazil? And I said – yeah, uh, I'm trying to learn Portuguese. And he said, I know exactly what you should do. He said, you've got to fly to Bogota, Colombia. You're going to take a second flight to Leticia, Colombia, which is in the Amazon, the small part of Colombia that, that's in the Amazon, or the small part of the Amazon that's in Colombia. And then that's the border of Brazil. You're going to walk across the border. There's no border, uh, you know, booth or security or anything. You literally just walk across the street. And then you're going to get on a boat uh, that's going to take you in four days uh, down the Amazon uh, until you reach Manaus, the capital of the Amazon. And in those four days, you're going to sleep on a hammock surrounded by 100 Brazilians. You bring your grammar book, and they're just going to adopt you, and they're going to give you the best free Portuguese lessons you've ever had. And it was the absolute best advice 
it was incredible. In four days, I learned more than I had learned in a whole year of studying. Uh, everyone is really friendly on the boat. You got nothing to do on these boats uh, in the Amazon. I, I call them like the Greyhound bus of the Amazon. It's, it's not a tourist thing. It's just how people get from one city to the other. Um, a lot of the cities, especially the cities of airports, the smaller towns, it's literally the only way to go. So just everyone's getting on and off, telling you their life story. It's a little bit like sort of Las Vegas, what happens on the boat, stays in the boat. You can tell people anything. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on on this boat. And um, I wrote my first article about it. I said this would, you know, this would be a great travel article. And uh, I had, was already sort of a journalist. And I, uh, yeah, and I got it published in the New York Times. And the rest, the rest is history. It was called Impromptu Classroom. 2004, I think it came out. So wait a minute. <laughs> what made you, first of all, is this your normal thought process with things? Because most people would say, oh, I really want to travel to Brazil. And then they'll learn the language and do the whole thing. You're kind of just like, Hey, somebody challenged me to learn a language. I'm going to learn it. Okay, where can I speak this? I'm going to go to Brazil. That's kind of a reverse way of do, that most that's, people do it, I think. That's pretty much how it <laughs> happened. But I think that my whole thought process about travel has been shaped by a, a few different things that I've done. And the thing that sort of reminds me the most of this one is when I was starting to learn Spanish, I had just gotten out of college and I realized I was teaching in a, a school that was a, a bilingual school and I sort of sort of had to learn Spanish, basically. And, uh, and then a family of one of my third grade students uh, said, why don't you come to the Dominican Republic with us for the summer? And I don't really think they were serious. All, everyone was Dominican. In New York, people probably don't know this, but Dominicans are the biggest immigrant group in New York City from the Dominican Republic, which people think of mostly as Punta Cana and beaches. But, but uh, we got a ton of Dominicans here. And uh, so I went down there. It was not a rich family. Uh, they had a very small house. Uh, I, there was like once the, the rest of the family from New York was there, there was like nine people in this three bedroom house, including me. I had to like share a room with some kids, which was weird. I was a teacher. I was an elementary school teacher and I was sharing a room with a bunch of kids. I don't think this would have been legal in the United States. And, uh, I just spent all summer or all month anyway, stayed for a month, like learning merengue, dancing, uh, dancing merengue. Uh, drinking rum and not doing anything touristy. I went to one beach one time in a whole month in the Dominican Republic. And so that was my experience. That's how I became good at Spanish. So why not be on a boat in the Amazon right. to learn Portuguese? <laughs> that made sense. So when you wrote the article, did you know you were going to submit it to New York Times? This is another, you said you hadn't really done any travel writing before then other than your own personal journal. Had you considered, hey, I'm going to submit this when, when it was happening? You're like, hey, I'm, this might be a thing I could do? Yeah. Or? Well, this story is going to disappoint you. I'm okay. sorry. But, <laughs> but, uh, but I already wrote about the Bronx for the, for the New York Times. The way that I, I do everything in a roundabout way. I was a teacher in the Bronx. And then a few years later, a friend of mine said, you really should be a, a writer. You used to be a good writer in college. And, and, I, and, I, and I, it was true. I wrote for the college newspaper and then gave it up. And um, – I actually ended up taking a class and figuring about how to get published. And I, I got published and I had, so I was already kind of writing for the New York times and a free, I'd already done freelance stories for them. Uh, so I just was kind of moving over to the travel section. It, it's not like some big crazy thing where I like miraculously got a story published there. I was just talking to somebody else about this yesterday, how, sometimes your friends or people, you know, or maybe even a stranger who's, somebody's giving you a ride somewhere, how they'll just say something that 
it sort of seems to be in passing for them, but for you, it's a it can be like a life changing thing, right? Just to have a friend say, "Oh, you were a great writer in college. You, you know, maybe that's something you should look into." Just that little bit of encouragement can kind of uh, set your life in a yeah. different path in some way. Right, right, and that was like eighteen years ago, and and that friend of mine came to the book launch party, and uh, and uh, you know, she's in the acknowledgments and everything. I think she had even forgotten that she had done that. So you know, funny. sometimes you say things to people. And you don't realize what you've done. Absolutely. Ho- hopefully in a good way. Yes. Probably, <laughs> Mostly hopefully like in a good ruin way. Ruin someone's life or something you say maybe. Did you grow hey. up in New York or? No, I'm from Massachusetts. Uh, I'm from Newton, Massachusetts. Um, you know, I moved to New York after college. so But I've been here for a long time. Did your parents take you traveling a lot when you were younger? How did the whole travel thing yes. start for you? Well, um, uh, they didn't take me traveling until I was, for the first 10 years of my life, the funny thing is they did like to travel. And I, I guess we didn't really know. They kind of gave it up for us for the first 10 years of my life. And then I think at one point they said, um, hey, I think we can start traveling with you guys, me and my brother. And so we did. We went on about four trips uh, that uh, were really great. And I think that there is something about travel that it's really helpful to learn it when you're young. It's a little bit like a language. If you try to learn Portuguese when you're young, I wouldn't have had to go on a boat in the Amazon. You just kind of learn automatically. And I think that I think that the travel is, is like that as well. Like if you have a model, someone who shows you how to travel, if they do it in a good way, if they try to avoid, you know, tours and that sort of thing. And then you just learn from them. And then I just took it a few steps further. Uh, by this whole Dominican Republic thing. I mean, we just like went, you know, the one, the first trip we took, actually, we exchanged homes with a family in London. And this was not in a time where like Airbnb was even, I'm not even sure the founders of Airbnb were born. I don't know, maybe they were, it was the 80s. And, uh, and I was a kid and my parents, I mean, they must have written away for some like list of people who wanted to exchange houses. I don't even, it's hard to remember how the world worked, you know, before all this was so easy, but, uh, and then they found the house and they, we must have written them a letter, maybe called, I don't know, and ended up sharing as trading houses. Literally this British family lived in our house for, for a month and we lived in their house for a month in, in London. And, uh, you know, everything was exotic, you know, when you, Take your first trip to another country. I mean, England is hardly the most exotic country to me now. Uh, but, like, I remember, the, you know how they do this in England? They have the soft ice cream and they stick the Cadbury Flake chocolate bar in it. Yeah. I thought that was unbelievable. <laughs> like, you'd have Mind blown. <laughs> and you'd stick a chocolate bar in it. Right. Like, what could be more innovative? I was only used to having the chocolate in pieces inside the ice cream. <laughs> now it's stuck. I mean, it was completely nothing. <laughs> but I I still remember it to to this day. And don't even get me started on driving on the left side of the road. That freaked me out as a 10-year-old. <laughs> actually, it freaks me out today, but only when I'm actually driving. Definitely freaks me out when I'm driving because you're always looking. You have to train your – I don't know. They should give you when you rent a car in Ireland or somewhere like that. They should give you a neck brace that kind of – some kind of thing that you. snaps your head the other way. Because I swear there have been so many times I almost got smacked. Yeah. Well, I have to – I just keep telling myself – Keep yourself near the yellow line. Like, 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 uh, uh, that's how I do it. Like, if you're the driver on the right side of the road, you're on the left side of the car and you're near the median line. So if you're in the, in the other side of the car, you still, the only thing that's the same is you have to be near the line. So when you're taking a left turn and you're not sure which, which side of the road to go to, 
just keep yourself near the line. That's that's my travel tip of the day. I'll tell you one thing. If that there's was, a line, if there's a line, yeah, if you're on a country road, that's it's, it's over. I'm not going to get into this whole story, but I will let you know. I've spent three years of my life doing a job where I drove a British double decker bus around the states. So I was driving on the right hand. I was on the correct side of the road, of course, but in the bus, it was a British bus, so I was it was right hand steering, and that was really weird because I had to get used to being on the American roads in the British configuration for the car. So anyway, that's a story for another time. So it sounds like your parents were, I mean, liberal enough in terms of travel where they, they were willing to, Oh, they were liberal enough in many ways. Okay. Yeah. I mean, letting people stay in their house and doing the house swapping thing and stuff like that. Did that kind of mentality fuel your confidence to, to sort of venture out into the world later on? I think what it did is it fueled my disgust of regular travel. Okay, like, yeah. I, but not disgust, really. But I, I just never really thought of the idea of, like, here's a five-day package to go to wherever. And and we're going to take, you know, the, the classic stereotype of, like, get on a bus and get, get off the bus. And uh, I just never really thought of traveling that way. And so, to me, I mean, I hadn't even really thought of this until right now, but – Literally, the first trip I took uh, to another country, I was living in a British person's house. And when you do something like that, and then think to the Dominican Republic, I was staying in a Dominican person's house, and that was my first big travel experience after college. I studied in France for a semester in college. I lived in somebody's house with a real family. Once you are used to doing that, you kind of think, what is this hotel thing all about? And even to this day, like Airbnb, like I'm kind of a little disgusted with Airbnb recently because so many of the places I rent on Airbnb are not somebody's house. It originally, uh, they were all somebody's house. You know, that was the idea of it. You'd rent out your house. But now there's all these sort of commercialized people make investments and they furnish an apartment that's nobody's apartment. And then you go in and they, you know, they put a little chalkboard there that says, welcome travelers. But it's not real. It's all fake. It's like it's just like a hotel room, except it's in a neighborhood, which that's cool. that part of it is cool. Anyway, that's I don't want to get started on this, but you know, all these travel companies, not all these travel, all these every company in the world these days, it seems, starts off with a great idea and then kind of ruins it trying to make money. Yeah, money usually ruins things. That's true. And in that way, you said I don't want to start off on this, but we should because this is kind of what the book is about, right? Oh yeah, that's actually true. I forgot we were talking about the book. Yeah, that is what the book is about. Exactly. <laughs> well, you use the term "rediscovering travel" in the title. "Rediscovering travel: A Guide for the Globally Curious" is the book. And by the way, you have a YouTube station also called Globally Curious. Did you, why rediscovering travel? Did you personally need to rediscover travel for a specific reason, or is it just that you like what we're talking about here, where you think, wow, people? Now that you've traveled around in this way for so long and you've been a travel writer for so long, is it just that you've noticed like people aren't traveling in this way? And, and this is a way they, this is always hard because I don't ever want to tell anybody how they should travel, you Definitely know? Not. Um, I agree. So this is the, the balance. And I also, I don't know if you feel the same way too, but I also find the balance between, because I agree with you on a lot of the stuff that you're saying, maybe even all of it, but this whole idea of like analog travel and kind of going back to the way it was, I'm, I'm always like, when I talk about this, am I just being crotchety and old school or, you well, know what I mean? Let me, let me, I mean, first of all, yes, I'm definitely not telling people how to travel 
in this book. What I'm trying to do is provoking people to think about travel because, you know, you and I uh, sort of travel probably a lot more than the average person. Uh, but some people only do it like a couple weeks a year or if they're lucky a month a year. Maybe if you're a student, you can do it for the whole summer or something like that. Uh, if you're really lucky, you're taking off for a whole year. But but most people can't do that. So they don't think about it that much. They're just so relieved to finally be traveling that they don't think about what they're doing. And they kind of let the surrounding world, which to me is the travel industry and smartphones or whatever, sort of push you in one direction. And I just want people to push back a little bit. I think that's all it is. Uh, if you are the kind of traveler that loves to take uh, group group tours and, and be protected, because it is scary to be in some countries like China. That's a really scary, weird country where people don't speak English. You can't even read the signs in a lot of places. Uh, and so, yeah, sure. Do it. You do it the way you want to do it, but think about it before you do it and just maybe try to step out of it. Often I'll say to people, Oh, you, you do that. Well, just arrive a day early and just do something extra. So that's kind of my purpose in, in, in writing the book. Now, rediscovering travel. I think what I'm thinking is that even within the last five years, even if you're you know, um, been traveling for six years in the last five years, things have really changed. And even now things are really changing. And so I'm sort of hoping people will remember certain things about traveling even five or 10 years ago and sort of rediscover them. And there's a little bit of a pun in there because discovery is a big concept in the book and discovery in the sense, not of Christopher Columbus discovering America, but, but in the sense of literally not knowing what's going to happen to you when you're traveling from one minute to the next. And then the next minute it happens and you didn't know it was going to happen. So to me, if you read a hundred TripAdvisor reviews about a place you pretty much know everything that's going to happen to you. You just, it, it might, the opinions might be wrong, but I, I, I've known people who will go to a restaurant and read like a hundred reviews of the restaurant on Yelp or TripAdvisor or whatever, and like know exactly what they're going to order before they step in the restaurant, uh, have ex very specific expectations. I, I sort of give this a fake example in the book where you've read a bunch of reviews in which the chef is really like active and comes out to the dining room and like sits with a lot of the, the, you know, with a lot of the customers. And then it, what happens if you go into this restaurant and the chef's, it's the day off, it's the chef's day off and it's the exact same food and it's the exact same atmosphere and it's delicious and it's a wonderful place, but the chef isn't around. You're totally disappointed. You're in a great restaurant, but you're like, what, where's the chef sitting with me? And, and, and that's just, you've ruined it by reading the reviews. You don't, you wouldn't read, read a hundred reviews of a movie before you go to the movie or you'd know almost everything that would yeah. happen. So I why hate would you when people try to show me the trailer or if a trailer comes on before a movie that I want to see. I'm like, I don't want to see the trailer. I don't want to see all the best parts of the movie before I even I went to, to a, I went to a movie the other day and I did not even literally did not know what it was about. I had no idea what it was about, uh, but I went with a friend and I said, don't tell me. I don't even want to know the topic of the movie. And I love that because you're sitting there and, you know, my friend said, wanted to go my friend had read about the movie uh, but i was like great every second of this movie is going to be a surprise to me and that's what i want travel to be now of course you know it's a very specific kind of traveler that would just buy a plane ticket and show up somewhere and not have any idea what's going to happen i do like that idea but i'm not i certainly don't think a lot of people are, are going to do it um i just want people to realize that that is 
the greatest element of travel to get out of your regular routine. If you want to use your smartphone for every little detail of your modern life where you live, then great. I mean, I use my smartphone for, for, for everything. I use Google Maps to figure out how to get places. Um, you know, uh, I get news updates flashed into my phone. But travel is a time, you know, where you should not do things the way space, you do. A sacred space, right? It's a sacred space. And and look, here's the thing. This is what I was going to say, like rediscovering travel. Forget about us being old and crotchety. You know, it's only in the last two or three years, really, that people have started having access to data in other countries. Well, yeah, you could buy a SIM card and stick the SIM card in your phone maybe five or eight years ago. Uh, but but now, I everywhere I go, I don't know how things work with a Norwegian cell phone, but I have T-Mobile in the United States. And they about, what was it, about four years ago, started giving people free international data in 120 countries. And that sounded really great. And it is great, actually. But it means that no longer do you have to like wait till you get to the hostel or whatever to hook up to Wi-Fi. You have it everywhere. And that really does change things. You, you were perfectly capable and literally like five years ago uh, of not having access to your smartphone data when you were walking around a, a city. And now you have it. And I, that does absolutely change things. I mean, it results in people doing things like staring at Google Maps in their phone to figure out how to get from one museum of Paris to the next one. You know, don't look in your phone when you're walking through Paris. The whole point of going from one museum to another museum in Paris is seeing what is in the street in between the two museums. Uh, you know, Paris is a walking That's city. That's Paris, there's, right? <laughs> there's a whole, literally a verb in French, which means to walk around aimlessly, right? Uh, a flané, I think it is. My French is not as good as my Portuguese. That's a verb. Flané, the definition of flané in the, in the French dictionary is not look at your Google Maps to figure out the shortest way to get from one place to the other. So again, so it's, it's not, I'm not a literally anti-smartphone. I love my smartphone. Uh, it's just a way of thinking and realizing that we didn't, you don't have to do travel this way. And in fact, by uh, rediscovering travel, putting more discovery into travel, uh, then your trip will be more fulfilling and, and better and and more fun. I feel like I'm always required to have the disclaimer of, I'm not against smartphones, but I kind of am, even though I use it. It's like, you know, you use it. So there's this guilt that comes with, oh, I'm a little anti-smartphone. But when it comes down to it, I, I even though I use it, but I get disgusted with it often, yeah. I am a little bit anti-smartphone, to be honest. Well, yeah. I, the problem is, what are you going to do about it? Right, it's it's the world. You know, you mentioned the the verb in French. I love those one word things in other languages, like one or two words that just summarize some entire concept that you cannot really summarize in even a paragraph, but they just summarize it in one word. Uh, a good example of that in the region that you might appreciate. Well, I don't know if you'll appreciate it, but it's Pauleg, which is just anything that you can put on top of a piece of bread. <laughs> I like it. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it could be salami, cheese, whatever. You just have it all out, spread out, and you say... Peanut butter? Would peanut butter be one of those sure, things? Sure, if it's on the table and you're having that, it's just some pollen. There's some pollen you for you. Bread. There's some so pollen So obviously, uh, I'm more familiar with the Danish obsession with, with putting stuff on bread, but I guess it's, it's sort of the same in Norway. Yeah. Like, they just yeah. love... 
a lot of bread, but the bread so good here. They love yeah. Sometimes I get I get all angsty. I'm just like I'm making a real American sandwich, and I go into my kitchen and I <laughs> cut two pieces of bread and put the mayonnaise on and pack the meat on and do the whole thing. But you know, going back to what you said, what thinking about travel, I'm wondering how you think about travel has changed for you over the years, and and if so, how. Um, I think it's, it's mostly, well, so I think the number one thing that happened to me when I was frugal traveler of the times, it's, it's really a great job in more ways than people think. I mean, everyone says, oh, that's the greatest job ever. Of course, you did need to have a real tolerance for uncomfortable beds, you know, and, and, uh, and weird sleeping situations and, and long bus rides. But to me, the greatest part about the job was your challenge to come up with a story on every place you go. I am not going to write a standard story about, you know, um, how to save money, how to get use coupons when you're traveling in Seattle or whatever. I need something to happen on this trip, or this is going to be a really boring story. So that forces you to talk to other people. It forces you to do, uh, to do these sorts of adventures. And if you come up with an idea, you have a plan, but you see another thing you might want to do, then you go for it. There's a story in the book where I'm driving from one city in Turkey to the next. And I realize I'm driving through pistachio fields and it's only a day trip. I'm taking to this other city. Uh, and I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to drive through pistachio fields. And I, and I, cause I like pistachio. I mean, I've never been anywhere. Right. I don't know what pistachio before. looks like as a, yeah, you know, they kind of look like they grow in, grow in kind of drier places. It, it doesn't look unlike olive trees kind of, okay. which which are very sort of romantic looking and they're like sometimes 800 years old. Anyway, so I, you know, I draw, I get off the road, I see a little a sign. I saw a street sign that I'll never forget. I just loved it. it. It was to three villages and there was a weird symbol which showed that the road was rocky. It was a little picture of a car and the under the wheel, all of these rocks were like exploding up from the wheel it was such an effective sign like you are gonna be jolted along this road and i have always i i travel a lot in, in brazil uh as you know and my favorite activity in brazil is just drive down any dirt road because any dirt road in brazil there's something cool going on down it and so i was like oh well turkey brazil you know you know there's some, they have some stuff in dirt common road is usually really- a good sign Everyone's really friendly. So I just drove down and uh, I there were three villages. And I think this is the most important part of the story. I go into one village. It's abandoned. It looks like everyone just took the day off. <laughs> I think actually now everyone was actually in mosque. And okay. that's why no yeah. one was on the street. You go to the second village. I only see one person. And so I do this trick. There were some turkeys running around, like literally turkeys in Turkey, which was just a weird, yeah. mind-blowing experience. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to take some pictures of these turkeys. And I'm going to hope this guy talks to me. So I, I got out of the car, took pictures of the turkey. He comes over. He looks at my license plate number, writes it down. Really? Like I'm some, yeah, that's what he did. And he walked away. And I was like, oh, this is not, maybe this is the wrong idea to be going to these little uh, pistachio farming villages. So I'm like, okay, there's one more village. So I go to the next village. And at that point, everyone's getting out of mosque. Right. So that's why I think everyone was in mosque before. And someone just walked right up to me, literally walked right up to me when I got out of the car and invited me over to their place for lunch. An older man. And this is turkey for you, man. They're, they're so hospitable. He didn't even have, I didn't have to do anything. He, 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 I didn't speak Turkish. He just used sign language. And uh, I went and I spent the day with him and his family in a pistachio, their house in a pistachio orchard. So 
you know, that's the sort of thing I probably, if I were on a trip, like with my girlfriend or whatever, I would, uh, have been like, Oh, you know, we can't take any chances or whatever. But because I was traveling and sort of being forced to look for stories or else my, my article would be terrible. It forced me to do stuff. And now I've realized, I realized after five years, like it always kind of works like doing, looking for stories and doing crazy things. Maybe sometimes it doesn't work, but as I tell people, what would have happened if I had gone to the third village, there'd been no one there. I turned back to the main road. I've wasted 40 minutes. You know, the, the, the sort of the risk of, of taking an hour to try to do something adventurous or the risk of trying to talk to a stranger, uh, it's almost nothing. Oh yeah. Oh, they didn't want to talk to you. Oh, you feel bad for four seconds. You know, they didn't want to talk to you. So, um, that's sort of how my travel philosophy has changed. It's actually the things I sort of philosophically might've believed, like you should talk to strangers, you should do weird things. You should, you should sort of have adventures that you didn't think you were going to have that are unplanned. I, I knew it. But I didn't believe it. And then I did, did this, this, this column and every time I did it or almost every time I did it, something incredible happened. Uh, and, you know, I missed out on all the attractions of this city, uh, which I don't even remember what they were. But at the time, they seemed really good. I think there were some ruins there. Ruins. I mean, you know, you do want to see some ruins occasionally when you're traveling. But, you know. If you've gone to one, you know, I hate to say if you've seen one ruin, you've seen them all because like pyramids in Egypt are kind of cool. They're not even really ruins. They're still kind of pyramids. But it's just an excuse. To me, all these uh, attractions are really just kind of excuses to be running around places and hoping interesting things will happen. Yeah, what you realize is, at least for me, I it's sort of the mundane, well, what they would consider mundane daily life are the most exciting things to experience as a traveler, right? It sounds like, having that intention for adventure kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You working for the New York Times and having to write something, right, kind of forces that issue, like you said. I'm always curious to talk to people that document travel because then you have that added responsibility as well, right? You mentioned, okay, if you read 100 TripAdvisor reviews and you go into the restaurant, you're going to have a certain expectation. And when you start having expectations, then you get into that comparison trap, right? And it's starting to, I think it starts to distill the pure travel experience because you're not, you're not just present with it. You're kind of benchmarking it in a way. So when you were writing articles for the New York Times, did you, you know, somebody's going to read your article and they're going to read about your experience in these places that you recommend in your article or whatever. Were you really careful with that? Did you ever think, oh, I don't want to set certain expectations with this place. I'm just going to share my experience. How do you manage that meta thinking, you know what I mean? The idea of like, hey, I, I need to be a traveler. I need to be present and experience this as a traveler so I can write about it. But at the same time, I also need to be keeping in mind the angle for the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, this, so there's two parts. There's the part of these adventures I'm talking about. And like the worst, one of the things someone once said to me, I did something a little bit similar in Hungary, which is actually the beginning of the book. I, I went to a city that had no TripAdvisor reviews about anything. <laughs> Which is hard to find, by the way. And, and so then I sign. wrote about this city. I wrote about the city and uh, about sort of figuring out what to do there. And then someone told me, like, oh, my God, that city sounded so great. I want to go there. I'm like, no, that's not the idea of the story. The idea of the story is to go to a place that nobody has written about. You know, not that I have written about. So I was always trying to balance, like, people read, I think, right now, they read, like, traditional travel writing differently than they used to. I mean, it used to be that that's how you figured out what to do in a place. But we have so many ways now to figure out like what to do in a place that I felt I was writing more 
uh, of just trying to get people inspired about going to a place or uh, inspired about meeting people or, or whatever. So yes, of course, I'd write about a restaurant. I mean, I, I and I realized maybe people were going to go to this restaurant. Uh, on the other hand, I was much more concerned about would what, what do people think of this destination? Uh, what do people? Am I really giving people an honest idea? And I think uh, often I would write about things I didn't really like or things that were disappointing about a place. And I think just trying to be incredibly honest and making it very personal uh, is helpful because making people realize I'm not saying this is the, I'd never say things like the best pizza in Naples is at this place. Because first of all, I didn't go to all the pizza places in Naples, so I don't have any way of knowing. Second of all, it's me. It's not, it's not, it's not, I don't have any sort of way of judging pizza. It's totally subjective, of course. Totally subjective. So I tried to, I try to eliminate all that. And I don't think, I don't think maybe people could find a counterexample, but I don't think I've ever said this is the best place in X for Y. Uh, so yeah, but there's a little bit of responsibility. I mean, uh, although I will say, tell you one story about how it's not quite as much responsibility to think I was in Orlando and I was trying to do a story about what to do in Orlando aside from, you know, the, the parks. Right. So like if you, you're going to go for what the parks, parks anyway, yeah, you're going to go for that reason anyway. But as long as you're there, like instead of eating at one of the Disney restaurants, find all the awesome Puerto Rican restaurants because it has a huge Puerto Rican population. Orlando does. So that was kind of the exact idea of the book of the article. But I stayed in a, a hotel, uh, just kind of a regular cheap, you know, I don't know, 60 buck a night place where middle class people generally travelers who don't, you know, who aren't rich stay and they go to Disney. And uh, I was walking out and I usually I always travel anonymously. I don't say to people I'm writing for the New York Times. They're going to give me the best room. They're going to give me the best service. We're not really even allowed to do that. And um, so I walk out and I say, hey, can I speak to the manager? Because I like to tell them afterwards so I can get the contact and find like the details. So I'm checked. I checked out. I said, can I talk to the manager? I said, hey, uh, I'm writing an article for the New York Times about Orlando. Can I ask you a few questions? And he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, he's like, you got to leave a review on TripAdvisor. Leave a review on TripAdvisor. Like, are you what? Are you, do you understand what's going on here? But but he does understand. It's, it, I mean, he was right and I was wrong. So funny. TripAdvisor is where people figure out what hotel to stay in. Nobody like, uh, nobody like clips my article about Orlando. Like it, my article wasn't even in the actual paper. You couldn't even clip it. No one's going to copy and paste my online column about Orlando and then go to this same like middle of the road, mediocre hotel because I went there. They're going to look on TripAdvisor. And, and that in a way has relieved me of some of the pressure of writing in the New York times because it's people aren't literally the only exception is these 36 hours stories, uh, which are really, really popular and they turn into a bunch of books and this column, which I do sometimes write as well. The, these like weekend long itineraries, people do really follow those and, and, and keep them. Uh, so I, when I do those, I actually am much, much more careful about the places I go to. I really do a lot of research. I really talk to people who live in the cities. Uh, and figure out very carefully where I'm going to go, but that's that's a little bit different. Do you ever did you ever struggle with the the journalist slash traveler hat taking that on and off? Did you have any moments when you were on the road where you just uh, had a hard time kind of separating out? Um, the hard thing is really when you start getting into situations that people invite you to their house or maybe. Um, um, 
let's just say, uh, imagine uh, no romantic situation pops up. There was a period of the frugal traveler when I was a single person. And um, uh, then you're like, ooh, should I? Now I really need to tell this person that I'm writing an article for the New York Times because they might appear in this article. Uh, So that was a little bit weird. Like, I basically go around and lie to people all throughout my whole trip. And that was always uncomfortable. Um, but I think it was a necessary thing. I never used anybody's name in the, in the, an article without telling them without asking them first. But, but, uh, yeah, that was a little weird. The fact that you're doing this travel writing anonymously, uh, is wonderful because then you're having a real traveler's experience. But on the other hand, you do feel a little, a little guilty sometimes like, um, I am writing, I'm like running into the bathroom and taking notes on the things this person is telling me. And they just think I'm a normal everyday traveler. That was a little weird. Actually got much easier with smartphones. You know, then you're like, oh, let me just get this. Let me just check my messages. And I'm like writing down what the person said to me. So I don't forget the awesome line they just said. So that's, that always made me uncomfortable. I really, I may have gotten better at lying, uh, over the course of writing this, this <laughs> you look a little distraught about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really uncomfortable. I mean, it's a weird little thing that that people usually don't know that that uh, at least this particular column. I can't speak for other travel writers, and of course, these days most travel writers need to uh, say who they are in order to to get places. I mean, it, luckily, the New York Times still still cross your fingers has money to pay for the frugal traveler columns trips so they can be anonymous. But, but most people can't do that. Most people have to be like, try to get a free stay somewhere or, or, you know, uh, have be sponsored by the destination. That's a, that's the really hard part about travel writing these days, uh, is to maintain a sort of an honest point of view when somebody's paying for, for your trip, which is what most travel writing is. And I do actually talk about that in the book quite a bit, uh, how to read modern day travel writing, uh, and sort of suss out, like figure out what is real and what is not. And, and I, uh, and I, you know, I just really wish every single, uh, blog post and every single podcast and every single video on YouTube would say right at the beginning, who paid for what, because, uh, I, you know, I get, I get the, you know, there's honest travelers out there and then there's YouTube influencers who, their whole job seems to be to rave about the resort that they got stuck in the best room in on purpose because they know they're going to be on YouTube from this. And uh, it's just it, – that's really fake and, and, and dishonest. And I, I, I will tell a, a story about – I got invited because now I am a YouTuber, which is weird. I'm like the oldest YouTuber around. <laughs> I'm not the oldest, but I'm like in the in the 99th percentile. And um, uh, so, you know, I got invited on a trip to Israel. Um, it was, you know, it was like a press trip or whatever. And I said to, you know, I said, well, what does this involve? And and they sort of told me, and it was going to be a very restricted trip. Like in Israel, is a very controversial place. Go if you're being if where you're going is controlled by this company associated with the Israeli government. You know, you're going to get a very specific point of view. And um, so I, di- I didn't go because because I knew they were going to control me every step of the way. It was like a group tour. And then I saw some of the videos of the people who did go and they make it look like they're alone just traveling around Israel. And I know they're not. I know they were with group. Their entire itinerary was controlled. 
And they didn't say it was. They didn't. They didn't. They, maybe they thanked the company at the end or something like that. I think you just have to be this real lack of transparency. Some places are very transparent, and I really respect that because I don't. I know that not everyone has a company that'll pay for them to travel. But then just be transparent. So when you're watching stuff and reading stuff, you know, be aware that it's not exactly as it seems. Boy, I sort of droned on about that. I'm sorry, but I'm, I feel very no. Strongly. I mean, that's such an important point. I think because there's so much media out there now, and if people are planning their whole trips around you know, certain things they read or whatever. Well, it's just like TripAdvisor, right? And w- which is a topic I want to get onto in a second, because like you said, people are reading the reviews, but it could be the, that the competitor wrote the review or somebody's brother-in-law who hates them. So they're trying to bash so They got 15 of their friends to write a bad review. It, same By thing the way, with- as I know, now that I have a book out, which currently just came out, right. Uh, as we're recording this, uh, a couple days ago. And, uh, I'm, Telling people to write Amazon reviews about the book, you know, I mean, this is this sort of ironic, right? I mean, well, that's you got to play the game, but at the same time, like what you're saying is just this is the infrastructure we're working with. This is the the modern age we're working with, but just do it ethically, right? Just be honest, be transparent, have some morals about it, and just share honestly what you're doing. TripAdvisor is, I looked on Alexa's rankings right before our interview yesterday, actually, when I was preparing, and they're the number two travel website in the world behind booking.com at the time of this recording, which is insane. Think about the amount of traffic, number two travel website in the world. So I know you have a video about this, but I want to get some advice on how to properly use TripAdvisor specifically because so many people use it. And they should use it the right way. And you also have an article that you published in New York Times called Don't Let TripAdvisor Kill Adventure, which kind of falls in line with everything you see, that we're talking to, about here. You don't so. need to read the book anymore. You, you know, you got you the idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, first, the thing to know about TripAdvisor is you shouldn't necessarily use it at all because there's so many other – there's at least six or seven major, major companies that – get reviews from around the world and, and post them like for, for hotels and whatever booking does, does their own reviews. So, and one of the difference between the booking reviews and the TripAdvisor reviews is to write a review on booking. You have to have stayed in the place, right? They, they send you a link or whatever after you stay there, uh, and say, please write a review. Uh, unlike TripAdvisor where I could go on right now and, and, and write a story about the Ritz Carlton in New York City and, and never have stayed there at all. So uh, the first thing to think about is that, and I have a, a little trick which I really recommend people do, which is they look up places uh, in a city they know the best. Maybe you, they live in that city. Maybe you do it for Oslo. And read, pick like their 10 places they love, 10 attractions or 10 restaurants, whatever, and then go to all of the big review sites and read the reviews of the places you already know and see which site better matches your point of view about those places. Uh, maybe it might be Yelp, for example, or maybe it, you know, who knows, maybe it's a Expedia's review. I, I don't know. Uh, and then you use that one from then on, like use the one trip.com has, has reviews, uh, Use the one that best matches your views of your home city when you go to other cities. So maybe you're not even use TripAdvisor at all. But let's say you are. Um, first of all, obviously, you know that any single review that you write or that you read, I'm sorry, might not be real. So like anything that's either really bad or really good uh, might not be real. So you have to read 
at least, you know, a dozen reviews. But then I really, a lot of people don't filter the reviews, which I find amazing because it's so easy on TripAdvisor to filter the reviews. So there's even, there's a thing you can click if like traveling alone, traveling as a family, romantic travel. So if you click one or the other, it it filters out all the people who travel differently than you. So you're just reading uh, reviews by romantic couples on trips. And that's a much better way to plan a trip for you and your romantic partner. Uh, so that's one thing. I, I mean, you can take it to an extreme. Uh, I was once looking for a French restaurant in New York and I said, Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to filter and only read the reviews in French. Cause I'm going to figure those are tourists from France or French people writing about French restaurants in New York. And then it's pretty interesting. You know, you, you, uh, of course you can use Google translate to read what they've written in French and, uh, you get a French person's point of view about the French restaurants in New York. That's kind of a cool thing to do that you couldn't do without, uh, with TripAdvisor. The other thing I, I, I recommend the best part about TripAdvisor compared to even to the other ones is that this is like the biggest repository of information about the world of travel anywhere. So even if you don't even care about the reviews, uh, the things to do list on TripAdvisor in any city is, is fairly complete except for that Hungarian city that had nothing on TripAdvisor. But in general, if you looked up, um, New York or Oslo or whatever right now, there'd be hundreds and hundreds of things to do. And I will often tell people, go, go to like number 422 and see what's there. Because, um, it's low in the ranking, not because everyone hates it, but because it probably only has six reviews and the algorithm doesn't boost it up until there's a hundred reviews or something. So it becomes like this amazing list of hidden things in a city. And those hidden things are hidden on TripAdvisor because who ends up going to page 892? The other thing is now a TripAdvisor is another caveat. I mean, uh, they're out there to make money. They're, they're a big company. They, they, they're expanding. The TripAdvisor originally was just reviews. You know how TripAdvisor originally made money? This is this is quite amazing. The only way they made money way back in the beginning is that hotels would pay to have their phone number listed and their website listed. Really? And then it's like a, it was like so, the new modern yellow pages in a way. Right. So so you'd see a, a hotel and if it got good reviews, but you wouldn't have any way to connect to it, you'd have to, God forbid, Google it and find their actual website. Uh, so you could pay to sort of make it easier for travelers to uh, find you. And actually, it's sort of how Yelp still works these days. People on, you go on Yelp and look for restaurants don't realize that the companies that have paid Yelp get to show their own photos. And the companies that don't pay Yelp, the priority is to show user photos. So everyone's sort of being semi-duped along, along the way. But, um, but in any case, so the point is, rambling a little bit, if you go to the things to do now on TripAdvisor, you have to scroll through a million things that they're selling before you get to the rankings. So uh, because they've, they've bought, they bought uh, another company that sells tours. So um, it can sometimes, sometimes it's useful. I mean, if you want to take a tour, but it's a little ridiculous to go to New York and, and you look, see, look at everything about Central Park and there's like eight ways to take tours of Central Park before you get to the actual reviews of Central Park. And like Central Park's a park. It's, it's literally like the first free public park in the United States. And, and, and here they are selling things that you can do in Central Park. So, uh, you know, uh, it's like I said before, these companies start off with, with really great ideas and then they grow and grow and grow and grow. And the great stuff is still buried in there. 
Like I still look at Airbnb for, for places. I just kind of really look at the photos to see if it's a really a real person's house. And they can really dupe you. Like it's all based around duping people to thinking you're staying in a real house. I, I went to a place in Rio de Janeiro and the photos of the Airbnb had a kid playing with toys on the floor of the apartment. And it was not a, a person's apartment. It was just a, 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 it was, it was, it was a nice enough place, but it, nobody lived there. Nobody was like the kid was off, you know, at summer camp and you were staying in the apartment. Right, so right. anyway. Yeah, that's funny because, you know, some other people might have a different take on that and they're like, oh, they like the Airbnb like sort of hotel experience where you're getting an apartment instead of a hotel room, but it's, you don't see somebody's clothes hanging there or whatever. So it's, it's a different strokes for different folks. Absolutely. Kind of thing, right. It, if, if you're a kid, if you have two kids and you're going on a trip and your kids are finicky eaters and you want to play, uh, stay in a place that has a kitchen and that's why you do Airbnb, then great. Then, then stay in a place. It doesn't matter if anybody lives there. That's not why I like to do Airbnb. And and it's not actually what Airbnb originally was. A lot of times, I mean, it is what it originally was. Now it's a whole bunch of other things as well. So I think we just need to roll as these companies grow and develop. We need to pay careful attention to what they are becoming. Not that they're becoming something bad necessarily, but they're becoming something different than the way, than what we think they are. TripAdvisor for so long was just a review site that that's the way we think of it. Now it's an OTA. They sell you things. You can get flights. You can, you can book places directly on them. It used to just be a place with a ton, a ton of reviews and people who have been using it for decades, I think sometimes still think of it that way and don't, aren't very attentive to how they're trying to sell you stuff. The good stuff is still on there, but it's, it's more hidden than it used to be. The awareness is kind of what you're talking about, right? Just being hyper aware and, and almost vigilant, a little bit protective maybe of your own travel experience that you're setting yourself up for. Because as you bring these things into your life, it's going to alter what that experience could be. And I'm with you. I mean, I love I love the spontaneity of travel and the, the things that you remember are those connections and those things that you didn't expect to happen. What are some other technologies that you think are important to highlight in terms of being aware of, or, or maybe even being wary of using them at all. We talked about TripAdvisor. You mentioned the Google Maps example where you're just wandering between the museums and you have your head in your phone. Um, Airbnb touched on a little bit. And any other tips around modern technology versus? Well, here, I'll give you a good one. I'll give you one that I think I can't figure out how it would be negative, uh, and it doesn't apply to everybody. But I, I was in Lisbon. Uh, uh, last year, yeah, last year, and I sort of I I met a a woman. I was just in a yoga class. I was taking. I was there for a whole month, so I was trying to lead a sort of normal life. And we were talking, and she was a very young, uh, you know, early twenties, and she had been traveling around Europe. And she's like, I just use Tinder. That's how I meet people. And and uh, and she was single. And boy, that's a that's a good way to meet locals. If if of course that's you know if you're if you're right. single, if you're able to, uh, yeah. If my wife us, finds a Tinder profile about me, I don't know if yeah. that's going to go over so well. But well, it's just an example of how technology can actually be be helpful. Right. Um, so she told this amazing story about how she was on Madeira. It was one of the islands uh, that Portugal owns, and she was sort of uh, she'd missed the last bus of the night from the little village she was visiting to wherever. And so she started swiping on Tinder uh, and trying to match with people and literally to sort of get a ride back. Uh, 
to where to the main city. And it kind of worked. And she, I mean, she didn't. She said she basically swiped on anyone that wasn't didn't look like a psychopath, and ended up chatting with someone and meeting them and really liking them and actually not and, and like spending the whole evening r- driving around the island and going to all these cool places that the guy knew because he lived there. Uh, so that's you know there are certain things uh, that are pretty cool. You can now. Um, I mean, look uh, again on the positive side. Uh, some a, a place like Booking.com has an immense number of of listings, whereas before it was really hard to you, you'd open up a guidebook and see maybe like you know five examples of guest houses or in, independent businesses in a place, and otherwise it was all big hotels. Uh, you know, Booking has everything; they have everything, and it's allowed some of the smaller business owners. To, to reach travelers without going crazy trying to get into Lonely Planet or, or trying to get a mention in some article. So in a way, those, uh, yeah, those, I guess, are positive, positive things. <laughs> it's been a little while since I've done the, uh, on trips to South America or through Europe, I remember just getting off the train and, and you have, this, this was the old school way of doing it. I guess you had people at the train that just show up and they show you pictures of these guest houses and their homes and everything. And then you just look at a few of them and you're like, all right, this one looks good. Where is it? And then you, now all of a sudden you're just following a stranger down the street somewhere to some apartment and you're maybe going right. to rent, maybe not. And that's just the kind of the way it worked. And I'm sure those people are still out there in places, but um, well, in a way, I mean, in a way it's, uh, it's, it's more direct. It's a more, uh, it's a way a little bit of more of an honest way to do things. You've actually met the person before you, there's no user reviews involved. So I guess it's a little, there's a little more risk involved to it in terms of you might go to a place that's crappy, but I kind of like that, you know, you're meeting a person and maybe it's like a, you know, the, the classic like picturesque old lady who's a local and whatever, and her all wrinkly and whatever. And you're, and that's kind of cool. Uh, but, um, sometimes I think, yeah, the technology is an interface. It definitely has its pluses and minuses. Like there's a lot of room for fakery on, yeah. on, on these sites. Um, so are there resources that you do use for research and you, you don't think about it too much or anything you want to highlight? You know, it's not like I go to the old library and pull out a, a dusty tome or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, two things I guess I, I, I will mention uh, the art of um, the art of Googling is, is still exists. You can if you Google a place these days, the first 27 results will be TripAdvisor, you know, or um, sort of Yelp or wh- whatever. Like you just have to sort of get beyond that. And so I still do look for old for articles that people have written or blog posts that people have written to get an idea of a place. It just means going to the third or fourth uh, page, I guess, of of the Google of the Google results. <laughs> that would be one thing. So all those people uh, doing SEO out there, don't worry, you're not being punished at least by Seth if you're on the third or fourth page. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're being hey, rewarded. Hey. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and the other thing I definitely use uh, is social media. Trying, you know, yeah, uh, it's amazing how often you can put you can put. Uh, does anybody know anyone in X? And I've had things happen like a guy I met once puts me in touch with his cousin who lives in Seoul, Korea, for example. And I, 
you know, it is true that that, that I, I'm a travel writer, whatever. So it works a little bit easier because they're like, oh, I'll get to meet a travel writer and whatever. But I think it works for 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 everyone, at least to get advice. Um, you know, Sicily. Uh, maybe you're, you know, maybe oh, for oh, let's use Oslo. So what if your high school friend uh, vaguely knew someone and they posted? Anyone know anyone in Oslo? And that person hooks them up with you. And suddenly, wow, look, they've got a travel expert in Oslo who's married to a native who can give them, maybe not take them around, but you'd probably send someone like two or three restaurant ideas or or tell them even more valuable, like what neighborhood should I stay in, that sort of thing. Um, so it is, it is, I guess, easier to connect with people uh, than it used to be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, certainly social media with crowdsourcing is... Uh is a huge resource. I was going to make a Dewey decimal system joke a little bit earlier, but I thought I would lose some listeners. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You mentioned meeting locals and having a lot, a lot of uh, opportunities when you go down, say a dirt road to connect with locals. Do you have any other tips around meeting locals and having those, those experiences? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, first of all, you need to talk to people. Whether you like Open it or up. not, you need to talk, you need to be willing to go and ask people things. And, uh, you know, this sort of like, um, uh, the idea that things happen just by chance when you're traveling is it's, a, it reminds me a little bit of the golf, uh, you know, golfers sometimes like you get a hole in one and they're like, Oh my God, that was so lucky. And you're like, yeah, the more I practice, the luckier I get, you know, like <laughs> yeah. you don't just get a hole in one. It's a sure. It's a little bit of luck involved. But you've been out there for hours and hours and hours practicing your driving. And I don't even know. I mean, I don't even play golf. But but the, the idea of that is if an amazingly lucky thing happens to you in your travel because you met some really interesting person and they, they gave you some good advice or they took you somewhere, that's because you uh, met 99 other people who weren't interesting. But you just kept on going and kept on being social and kept on talking to people. Uh, and so my big advice there is – smile and ask a question like just ask someone a question and to sort of get a sense of whether they'd be someone you want to talk to right like yeah you have google maps and it's telling you how to get somewhere but pretend you don't and ask ask for directions and it might be the sort of thing how, how do you get to this restaurant why are you going to that restaurant you know or why are you going or on your way to this place be sure to look into my cousin's shop which is over there and tell him i sent you or or, or whatever any little excuse to have a conversation with people. Someone was just, I was just on a radio show and somebody called in and, uh, we were talking about sort of how to meet people online. I mean, not online. Woof. What did I say that for? <laughs> how to meet people on the road. And, um, he sort of was saying like, he saw someone reading a book and he mentioned like, uh, Oh no, he saw someone, uh, reading a, a, a theater program that of a play he had just been to. And so he immediately talked to them. He was in a restaurant and he uh, borrowed the malt vinegar at the fish and chips place from the guy at the table next to him. And and uh, and I was thinking, well, you know, in that restaurant, even if I had had malt vinegar, I would have hidden it and asked the guy at the next table for malt vinegar. Finding like a small excuse to have a little interaction, basically. Most people will just be like, here's the malt vinegar. But sometimes I remember one place in Italy where I, I was alone in a restaurant and I, I sort of asked them how their appetizer was. And they gave me the rest of the appetizer. So free food is even is even yeah, sometimes a hey. help. Um, Who doesn't like free food? 
and it, it's but it's not easy. I mean, I'm I much I am sort of social and and act and and love parties and love talking to people, but usually only if there's an excuse to talk to them. Like we're at the same party, so I'll introduce myself. Talking to strangers is that's a tough one. That's a tough one, and I think it's also easier to talk to fellow travelers. This is something I also sort of say. I mean, I do realize you met your wife at a, at a hostel and everything, and she was a fellow traveler. But it's much, um, you know, there are great, it's great things that happen when you meet other travelers. But it's, but, but try to meet people who actually live in the place. You know, that's harder. It's just easy to start a conversation with somebody in the sort of the common area of the youth hostel or in a dorm or whatever. Um, but but it's harder to get out there away from those those folks. And there is a little bit of a bubble, sort of the hostile bubble, where you're meeting a lot of really interesting people, uh, which is true. But you're you're still a little bit shielded from the world outside, uh, and you need to be sure that. Um, I remember, uh, traveling in France when I was a student, well, traveling around Europe when I was a student there. And I refused to travel with this group of Americans that had sort of become buddies at, in my program. And I went with this one other guy who just was like me. He's just like, let's go to the weirdest places. <laughs> right. And, you know, we actually like tried to speak French to each other, which was pathetic. But, you know, <laughs> the idea was we're in Europe. We're going to, we're going to have an experience. So yeah, I guess, um, just be wary of who you're choose your travel companions very, very carefully, basically. Yeah. yeah. Amen. I, and I hear you on the, I mean, the hostel bubble can be an awesome, super fun place to hang out. But I think also, like you're saying, it's just the awareness of understanding that you're in it. It's, and it's okay, I think, to be in it. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. just, as long as you know what's happening and you're kind of aware of it and you know, this is where I am and I'm existing here right now and during this travel experience and I'm cool with it and I'm having a good time with it and let the guilt slide away. But if you're, you know, ready to get out and be like, all right, let me meet some locals. You're going to have to get out of that bubble. Right. Yeah. And by the way, one way to meet locals is to make friends in a hostel and then go visit them in their home. Yes. Town. That's, that's true. A, yeah. as you very well know, but, but, uh, that's a great one. Um, you know, if you don't, if you're not the kind of guy that has Facebook friends around the world or whatever, or your friends who are travel writers, so they can hook you up with places. You know, develop a network in your travels. Uh, yeah, that's just also that's just a great part of. I think a great, great part of the modern social social media world is how easy it is to stay in touch with people. What keeps you traveling? Boy, the world is just a really humongous place, and every and there's so much interesting stuff going going on. And I've just had so many great experiences that that why would I why would I want to stop? There's so many places I haven't been. Uh, I was a little kid and I and I had an atlas of the world and I looked was just leaf through it and be like I want to go here I want to go here I want to go there. I really still am that way. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. And how, how are you feeling about this book? I mean, it's a oh, lot of work God. to write a book. I mean, even though you're a writer and uh, you you know you. Obviously, you're an established journalist and everything like that, but I would imagine that it's still a pretty tough oh, project, right? I mean, how long did it take? Well, I mean, on and off, I, I do a whole lot of other stuff, but it basically took four years. I was doing Frugal Traveler still, and I just couldn't get much of it done, and then I was doing this Amigo Gringo YouTube channel. Um, I'm really, really happy that everything that we're talking about and everything I feel is about travel is in this book, and I think there's a lot of really fun stories. It's not a boring book in which I tell you how to use technology or anything. So I'm really happy about it. But it's, of course, terrifying because, you know, this book is like, um, 
it's really putting yourself out there. It's like me in a book. So probably soon, uh, uh, you know, there's going to be um, reviews of the book and there's going to be some, maybe some people will have some bad things to say about them. And I'll be like, oh, you are literally telling me. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's Even writing articles is, is a little bit scary because then people write in the comments about how you're an idiot. Uh, but it's a big, it's a big step to take. Uh, and, um, you know, I hope people read it and get a lot that goal of it is to help people become better, inspire people to become, um, I don't want to say better travelers because, you know, what's a good traveler and what's a bad road, but to become travelers that fulfill, you know, their goals of, of travel, uh, better to see through some of the traps of modern travel. And, and if that's, what happens then 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 i'm happy with it then it was worth it and that is right in line with the mission of this show and i so appreciate you coming on and sharing your advice and the book is rediscovering travel a guide for the globally curious seth man it was such a pleasure chatting with you we have to do this in person at some point yeah so yeah. you gotta Get let me know if you come over to norway or i'll let you my, my family i grew up outside of philadelphia area so i'm on the east coast here and there so you know, we'll have to hook it up somewhere in, awesome. some, in some weird right. place, right? <laughs> that we didn't read well, about on TripAdvisor. <laughs> that's the other thing. We'll see each other. You'll see, I'll see it on Twitter. You posted your summer and like, I'm there too. That happened to me mm-hmm. once in Mozambique. You know, <laughs> Gary, Gary Arndt, the great travel blogger. And I ended up being in Mozambique at the same time. Nice. It, that <laughs> was just ridiculous. Nice. Anyway, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, man. We'll chat soon. There you have it. I want to thank Seth for stopping by today's show. And thank you, my friends, for listening in on our chat and wondering what you got out of this show. What were your takeaways? You can always get in touch with me, Jason, at ZeroToTravel.com and let me know your thoughts. I do want to give a shout out to somebody in the community who reached out. In just a moment, first, also want to quickly thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga. That will take you to a page where you can see all of the Tortuga travel gear and backpacks that I recommend for you. And you can get 10% off for being a listener of today's show just by using the promo code TRAVEL when you check out the word TRAVEL. That's all you need to do. Just type in TRAVEL when you check out and BAM! You're going to get 10% off all the travel gear that you order. Love their backpacks. Use them all the time. And if you haven't checked out their stuff, you're looking for something for yourself, you're looking for a new backpack or for a friend or family member, check them out. No need to dilly-dally around the internet trying to watch a million YouTube videos to figure out what the best one is for you. I put them all on one page for you and we'll leave that link in the show notes. Thanks again to Tortuga for supporting today's show. Again, if you go through that link, you'll also be supporting the podcast and I so appreciate that. And yes, here we go. A shout out to... Caitlin, who sent me a picture, an epic photo from Yosemite. Oh, I think I know where she's standing in this picture because I see that iconic background, Yosemite Valley, and apparently this picture was taken at Inspiration Point. She said it's one of the most amazing ventures I've had here in America. If you haven't been to Yosemite or explored the national parks in America too much, That is one of my favorite travel experiences, just road tripping around, going to national parks. I love that you can buy a parks pass to all the parks 
It's an annual pass. I think it, the last time I bought it, it cost around 80 bucks or something, but it goes into the national park system and it's so cheap. And then you can go to any park and get in for free with that pass. Just such an incredible deal. Anyway, I'll read you a little snippet of Caitlin's email. She said, thanks for putting the podcast together. I've been binging on my drive from New York to California. Very cool. I'm, I'm wondering what state you're in when you're listening to this now. Hopefully you're still binging. And she says, I've been working as a traveling nurse for the last two and a half years, and I couldn't be happier I made the change. I'm originally from a very small town in upstate New York with very little cultural diversity. Luckily for me, I worked at Bed and Breakfast during high school, which was owned by an eccentric elderly woman named Vera who lived the most amazing life. Guests came from all over the world to stay with her and listening to her amazing stories of her experiences traveling the world. And I would be in the background washing dishes, soaking it all up. I knew that traveling was something I wanted to do. And she just goes on to share a bit of her story, uh, says some nice things about the podcast being an inspiration. She says, I love hearing the stories of people's epic trips, like the couple that drove all the way through South America. And the girl just decided to get on a bike one day and ride from New York to California with her dog, Fiji. I loved recording that episode. Uh, She also says, I would love to circumnavigate the globe on a sailboat, but I haven't quite figured out how that will work yet. Okay, I'm glad she brought this up because this is something I want to cover on the show. So anybody that's traveling around the world on a sailboat or has any advice to offer or wants to make an introduction to me, to somebody that's an expert in sailing around the world, bring them, bring them my way. Let's get them on the show. Anyway, Caitlin finishes up, says thanks again for the inspiration. Thank you, Caitlin. It was so wonderful to hear your story. And then I love when people attach pictures so I get to see a smiling face. And a little bonus here, I get to see some wilderness in the background as as well. So thanks, Caitlin. If you want to get in touch, again, drop me a line, jason at zerototravel.com. Thank you, my friend, for stopping by, hanging out with me today. Should I leave you with a quote? Let's do it. This one is from... Douglas Adams, who says, we are stuck with technology when what we really want is just stuff that works. Thanks again. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 